Our Old Testament reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is the word of the Lord. From Ephesians chapter 3. Being in verse 7, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over that which I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in this moment we ask, Lord, for the second time this year and for the 305th time in Grace Fellowship's history, Lord, we ask that you, in this moment, would do the thing that only you can do. Lord, in your kindness and in your mercy, we ask that you would take these words that are here in your word, Lord, that you would, by the power of your spirit, illuminate them, shine light on them, shine light on our hearts, Lord, and use them to make us ever more the people you'd have us be. Would you use them to stir up in us great hope in our Lord Jesus? And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I have been in several situations in the past year, meetings, events, um, interviews, talks with people, where I've been asked... The question, so Joel, why are you a pastor? How'd you get into this work? I was asked just this week from a friend, do you like it? Um, I was asked by the same friend, he was on a layover in the Atlanta airport, so he had some time to think, I guess. I was asked by this same friend, do you ever regret it? Now, that series of questions actually has some fairly complex answers. But if I could just cut tonight to what I like to call the simplicity that's on the other side, the far side of the complexity. If I could just speak to some simplicity tonight. I would tell you that what the Apostle Paul says in verse 10 of chapter 3 is the clearest possible answer 
that I could give to that question. In verse 10 of chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I'm a pastor because at the end of the day, I really believe that that's true. That through the church, God is making known what he calls his manifold wisdom. Like, I actually believe that is true. I cannot even begin to describe to you in words how true I believe that that is. So tonight, in our few minutes together, I really want to explain that. I want to explain what Paul means here when he says that. And it will require me to um, take you on a crash course in the book of Ephesians. If we're on an airplane right now, I would tell you, you might want to fasten your seatbelt. And then I want to encourage you to imagine it and to imagine it with me in a fresh way tonight. Now, if you don't hear anything else I'll say tonight, this is the main thing I want you to hear. Um, I don't want you to miss this. This is it. If if you're out to dinner tonight after this worship service and somebody asks you, what was the sermon about? This is what I want you to say. I want you to say that the sermon was about the fact, the reality, the truth, that the church, a church, our church, really any church, the gospel is preached. The church is the sign that Jesus has won. The church, even this one, gathered here tonight with, with a choir that is formed in the choir loft <laughs> that, that I can preach to. And you guys will do a song at the end, by the way. is a sign that Jesus is one. So let's take a look together. First, let me try to explain that to you. In January of 2016, so seven years ago, a guy named Joel Brooks, who's pastor of Church of Redeemer, called me on the phone and asked if I'd be interested in beginning the process of praying and thinking through planting a church. Now, that church was later planted in January of 17, so six years ago. That church is this church. When I was first asked about exploring the idea of planting a church, I began a slow read of the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is somewhat of a ground zero kind of of passage of scripture in the life of our church family. And here's a basic sketch of the way the book of Ephesians works. At the beginning in chapters 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul is telling us that Jesus Christ, who was crucified, has actually been raised from the dead. And he's been raised from the dead. He has ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and he has sat down to rule the universe, to rule the world by the word of his power. And there's a particularly vivid line in the book of Ephesians in chapter 1 that we're told that this Lord Jesus who was crucified, who's now been raised, who's ascended to the right hand of God the Father, he is actively 
squashing all opposition against him. There's a vivid line that says that at this very moment, he's putting every other name under his feet. So the book of Ephesians begins with telling the tale of this great cosmic victory that Jesus Christ has won. Now, if that's a little abstract for you, a big cosmic victory, can I make it more concrete for you? Because that is what Paul does. In Ephesians chapter 2, we learned that this Jesus Christ, the way he is sort of expressing and enacting this great cosmic victory, the way he's doing that is by rescuing, redeeming, raising from the dead, freeing from chains of slavery, sinners like you and me. That's the way that he does it. And he's doing this not because of anything we've done, not because we're particularly mindful of him. In fact, we're told that we're naturally stubborn and stubborn enemies of him. But we learn that this Lord Jesus who rules the world by the universe, or upholds the universe by the word of his power, that he's so kind and merciful and gracious to sinners. And as if that were not enough, this cosmic victory of Jesus that involves rescuing sinners takes on this social dimension that has invited these rescuing sinners into a new body, a new family, that he's creating a new humanity. You might even say he's creating a new way of being a human person by inviting them into a body to belong to, the church. He's creating from them a new people. Groups of people that historically have always been at odds with one another are together as brothers and sisters underneath this Lord Jesus. We learn at the end of chapter 2 and into chapter 3 that our Lord Jesus is constructing these as like a temple. He's making these people that he's redeemed and brought into a body, he's making them a place where he actually dwells. Now Paul says this is a great mystery. And of course, the way that the Apostle Paul uses the word mystery, he doesn't mean what we mean. When we say mystery, we say it's a mystery, and what we mean is we can't figure something out. The way the New Testament uses the word mystery is we could have never figured it out, except that now it's been shown. And then we get to verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me. So I'm the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What the Apostle Paul is saying here 
is that Christ has won a great cosmic victory in this universe, that he's redeeming sinners and bringing them into a new family. And the only thing left, the only thing left is him simply announcing, publishing, proclaiming that this victory has been won and he particularly wants to announce, declare, and publish it and proclaim it to the rulers and authorities. See, in the New Testament, rulers and authorities in heavenly places, this is shorthand language for the evil, sinful, dark, demonic forces that catch me here think they rule our world. And Paul says to Satan, to darkness, to evil and sin and death, you don't rule. Jesus rules. And how do you know? The church. Now, admittedly, this is a very strange way to save the world. But as Katie read for us, our Lord's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not ours. Have you ever noticed the way that God always seems to do pretty much opposite of what you would have done? How do we know that Jesus rules the universe? According to the Apostle Paul, in this passage, you're looking at it. Like like literally even now. This is it. Like, you're looking at it. You're standing around it. You're sitting around it. You're experiencing it. You are in a living, breathing, pulsing, beating sign that Jesus Christ has won. Or think about changing Grace's mission statement to living, breathing, beating, pulsing, not really, that's a joke. (laughs) And I want you to imagine something with me. I want you to imagine it maybe afresh and again. Can I imagine something with you? I imagine us praying together, much, much, much praying together. I imagine, being, I imagine prayer being the first thing we try. We might as well ask God, you know. I imagine sitting with one another in waiting rooms, waiting for news from doctors. I imagine when death comes, that is not a when, not an if, but a when. I imagine us sitting with one another listening, talking things out, staying up late in each other's kitchen. I imagine lots and lots and lots of meals together, lots of time around the table eating food. I imagine going to a restaurant somewhere around here and walking in on a group of our people, grace people hanging out together and knowing I didn't plan it. 
Imagine us helping each other raise our children. Imagine us dedicating children and making promises to each other to support each other. I get a sense that things might be uniquely difficult for our children. We will need each other to help raise them. I imagine moments of grief. I imagine a singing of the promises of God together in those moments when we can't muster up the words for ourselves. Imagine having a few teenagers among us. That's you, Winston, Thatcher, Josie, and others. Imagine them having a sense of encouragement and support as they try to be faithful and remember that Jesus loves them regardless of what they can achieve. Imagine when life gets stressful, one of our members, for example, going through a time of chaos, I imagine one of us taking the initiative to say, hey, can I just come over and help you for a couple hours? When someone is sick, I imagine a refrigerator stocked full of food provided by our folks. I've been, I imagine knowing that one of us is having a difficult week, and that fact alone makes others in, among us feel it too. But we can encourage each other together. Imagine married couples being able to share that things aren't going well and that they need help, and that's actually free to be open and honest about that. Imagine folks in our body walking through financial difficulty and us working together to have ways to support each other. Imagine the single adults among us. For a lot of reasons, I have a real heart for these precious people. In a world that's full of loneliness and despair, I imagine single adults enjoying such a depth of family and depth of fellowship, such a participation that they feel purpose, value, and supported as they try to walk faithfully with Jesus. And in a way that helps bring light in places that are dark. I'm imagining and I'm hoping eventually for some older folks among us whom we can walk with when they finish their race. Imagine widows who have a family here, orphans coming into this family here. Imagine older men and women mentoring the younger, passing on the wisdom of the ages, telling us exactly where the old roads of life and joy and blessing can be found. I imagine all of us beginning to believe together that we aren't just going to church because we happen to have a minute and our weekend's not too busy, but that we belong to each other and have a stake with one another in profound ways so we come. Imagine sending workers to the field, Turkey, Thailand, planting new churches in Birmingham, finding new ways to bear witness in our city, not expanding or just trying to grow a church larger, but extending Imagine all this unfolding with people that if you look around, you might not have actually imagined that you'd be in this kind of fellowship with them. Maybe because of background or language or socioeconomic status. But imagine slowly over decades and decades being made into a body together. Emphasis on the decades and decades and decades. Imagine all this coming very slowly and being generated by showing up Sunday after Sunday, midweek after midweek, hearing the same gospel announced, celebrating around the same table, singing the same songs, knowing that the Spirit uses these things to make dead and dry bones live, to heal, redeem, and make sinners whole. Imagine the Spirit calling us to, to repentance in Him 
and giving to us his very presence. And even when we don't feel like coming, I imagine us being very, very, very certain that our Lord Jesus is at work in these ways week after week after week after week. If things get sideways and we have to meet over Zoom to hear each other's voices, see each other's faces, and to pray. If we have to meet outside through an Alabama summer, heat, rain, cold, really cold, really hot, all in two, three weeks because the weather changes here every hour often. And not doing that because it's easier. But because it might be a best chance to actually stick together in it. Imagine that outsiders, people we don't even know yet, being brought into this and becoming inside of it. And imagine... When we will one day gather around God's throne among others who've been doing the same thing from every tongue and tribe and nation, imagine us being able to look at one another and believe that it was worth it. And to know that on that day when we see Jesus' face, we will not be disappointed in that day. Trust me, we will not be let down on that day. I promise you that. That we can look at each other and know that it was really worth it. This is why you plant churches, by the way. Not because you're bored at your old job. I wasn't. Or think you can do it better because it's very obvious by now, I can't. You can amen that if you need to. But it's because you believe Jesus receives a unique kind of glory. And displays his manifold wisdom and his unsearchable riches in this way, in his church. Now, I wrote those words a little over six years ago at one of our first meetings together. And I've been editing it as we go. Church is a sign that Jesus is one. And I don't know how you really hear that tonight. But I imagine you hear it in a few of these ways. First of all, I imagine that you would hear those words and you would hear them as an invitation. That maybe even this year would be a year to go further up and further in to take hold of it in a deeper way this year. I think these words are intended to be heard as an invitation. also imagine when you hear these words, you might have to hear them and at the same time, look to Jesus' healing power. See, one of the things that's really hard about being an adult, if I might say so, is that two things can be true at the same time. That the beauty of what God does in our Lord Jesus in bodies like this one the beauty of it can be true and it can also be hard and painful and difficult. And perhaps you've taken your fair share of pain and wounds because of belonging, even to this church. I want to tell you a few things. One, I want to tell you I understand. Two, I want to tell you that I am sorry. 
Three, I want to tell you that I am confident, so confident, that our Lord Jesus is a great healer, and that more can be healed than we know. I'm confident that he's, he's always working. He's never not working. And I'm confident because we're Christians, our best days, by definition, always have to be ahead of us, right? And then finally, I hope you hear it as a cause to celebrate. I don't know better news on a somewhat rainy January Sunday afternoon than the absolute truth that Jesus Christ has won. I don't know any better news than that. Let's pray together.